Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. It's the Game Plan podcast. We're recording on a Tuesday night, which is a little bit weird. Greg, I heard Mac Brown in the press conference Monday talking about how his days were all messed up. It was it was really Monday, but it felt like Wednesday, and tomorrow's going to be Thursday, but it's actually Tuesday. It's kind of like I feel doing this podcast, but Carolina and Pittsburgh in Heinz Field, 8 o'clock on Thursday night. A um, little bit different setup, but quite frankly, Carolina – playing pit on a Thursday night has become a thing, Greg. Yeah, for whatever reason, it has, certainly. I think this is the third time in a row they've played on a, a Thursday, the, at least up there, uh, which is kind of a an, an odd setup that they picked these two teams to kind of be in that role. But, you know, uh, so it goes. I, I do like the fact that uh, for this game, at least, the ACC kind of got away from um, you know, stacking games where you'd have Saturday, then a quick turnaround to Thursday. Uh, I don't think that's good for the players, and that makes it really tough for the for the coaches, especially if the other team doesn't have that disadvantage. I know the extra extra week with the calendar uh, really alleviated some of that concern, um, but that's that's one of the good things. We talked early in the year. You know, North Carolina had so many games there to open the season, uh, and if they could just get through that stretch, then they'd have a a bye week in, in early October, then they'd have another bye week you know, early November. And so that kind of set up for you know, them to have a, a good late charge if they could stay healthy. Uh, and things, of course, have not really gone according to plan in, in that regard. But you know, here we are, North Carolina needs to win two of their last three games to get to a bowl game. And we talked all preseason. You know, if this team can get to a bowl game, that is a, a great accomplishment. They've not been to a bowl game since 2016. Uh, and I know the the first two games against South Carolina and Miami really kind of perverted those expectations and had the fan base really thinking that this season could be so much more. Uh, but I still maintain a bowl game is, is excellent for what Mac Brown kind of walked into, and it really allows you to kind of build for future years. Um, but that being said, you've got to win two more. And this is a this is going to be a tough game. This is the toughest game left in the regular season. Uh, Pittsburgh is is dynamic defensively. You know, we've kind of been waiting for uh, Pat Narduzzi to kind of get the defense up to up to speed. He he was so good with what he did at Michigan State, and the defense has not been that good uh, since he's been at Pittsburgh. But finally, he's got a defense. I think he's he's proud of, even though they are missing some some key pieces. And so it's going to be another big challenge. And then when you factor in the weather, I mean, this team has played a lot of games close to home. They have not played in really tough conditions. Mac talked about, uh, I guess, you know, today and, and Wednesday being really cold in the triangle. And so at least from that standpoint, the team was going to practice outside and, and kind of get a sense of what it means to play in the cold because they really haven't been in that situation. Uh, that possibly could be a factor. So a lot of different things going to come into play, but uh, they they need this one. You don't want to have to go into that North Carolina State game in Raleigh, needing to win that game to be able to be you know, bowl eligible. 
Yeah, you want to avoid that at all costs. Jason, let me ask you a little bit about the weather. Um, Mike talked about it in the presser. You know, you go from uh, 100 degrees, 150 degrees on the field in you know, August and September, and now it could be in the 30s or, or below with some wind chill. How big a deal is that to players? I know everybody says football, suck it up, you know, rawr, whatever you want to say about football players, but I mean, when it's cold, it's damn cold. And especially when you're from the southern states and you're not really used to it. Is it is it a big deal? Is it something that takes getting used to? And and do these two weeks, or excuse me, two days here in the Triangle when it's been cold, is that a big help? Or, I'll give you an out, is it much ado about nothing? Um, I'd say it's 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 ado about something. <laughs> so it's uh it does matter it the game is different when it's cold one of the things that changes is the ball is different when it's cold uh and and it's unless you've really played in really cold weather it's hard to explain but when it gets cold the first of all the humidity matters a lot when it's cold but but as you get colder things dry out I mean, you see it. I mean, everybody knows this from, you know, when winter comes and you get around your house and you start getting static electricity and all that. But what this what what happens for ball handling is the ball starts to feel dry and um, and hard in in ways that affect how you handle the ball. So for a quarterback, it's significantly harder to throw a a cold ball than it is a a, a ball at, say, 85 degrees. It affects the it affects how well you can grip it because you just don't have the same kind of uh, of tack of grip on the ball that you do when it's warm and and that does make a pretty big difference uh, and the same thing is true to a lesser extent for receivers uh, for others now when you're wearing gloves that minimizes that that mitigates that somewhat. But still, even the tack on gloves and the, 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 the way that that interacts with the leather, that is impacted by cold weather. You're going to have balls squirt even with those gloves more than when, uh, when, when, it's, when it's warm. When it's warm, those gloves are, are really rubbery and uh, they interact with the ball in a much tackier fashion. When it's cold, again, the ball is it feels harder. It's drier. It just doesn't have the same kind of tack. And you know, what you're going to see is, is ball, the ball slipping a little bit out of a quarterback's hands. Sometimes you'll see balls squirt through guys' hands uh, when they're trying to catch it. It's much easier to fumble the football in cold weather. And that's one of the places where you're going to see the biggest difference. And it's what coaches are always concerned about is ball handling when it comes to putting the ball on the ground for ball carriers. When, the ball's cold because again, the way that it interacts with your skin and all of that, it's just a lot slicker and a slick football is going to do some weird stuff. So you have to really focus on ball security when it's going to be cold. And that just, that impacts a lot of different things. Now, other things, yeah, it feels different when you hit and all of that, but eventually you warm, you, you kind of do warm up when you're on the field a little bit. Uh, and, and it does, you know, it does change a little bit in terms of how it feels to, to get to take hits and all of that. And you feel tighter and all of that when you run, but eventually a lot of that sort of evens out, but 
really it's the ball that makes the biggest difference and just the the ball handling throwing catching all of that stuff does it does get affected uh you're just not able to do it as well when it's when it's cold as when it's warm and then if you add wind to that wind is really the enemy of of offensive football i mean that's what's going to make offenses offensive i mean you're just not going to you're not going to have good good football uh, good offensive football when the wind is blow when the wind is up and that's that's another factor I'm not sure what the wind is going to be but if you're talking about cold and windy then that's when you're going to see the the you know offensive scores start getting down into the you know if it would have been in the 40s maybe it's in the high 20s or even less than that you're starting to see scores in the teens when it starts to get really cold and windy just because it's a lot harder on the offensive side so yeah it makes a difference yeah, I don't. I don't do cold weather. Anything below sixty, I'm done. I'm going in the oh, house. I don't like anything below eighty-five. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I can get with that. It's just that's not too terribly realistic unless you're living in Tallahassee or the Glades or something, <laughs> Greg. Which what Jason talked about, uh, cold and wind or whatever, puts a premium on the running game. And Pittsburgh, um, you know, they're going to try to make Carolina. Uh, not be able to run the game, run the ball. And, and we talk about run the football and win the lines of scrimmage. But in a game like this, and I think Mac Brown said it, and, and maybe one of the coordinators said it, that it couldn't be more paramount for North Carolina to win this physical battle against Pittsburgh. Uh, they did not do it, I didn't think, against Virginia. Did that bye week help refresh those guys to be able to come out close this season strong uh, because like you mentioned in your first answer, the grind of the early season, even though they had that bye week in October, it looked like they were grinding down and depth issues. And that brings up Nick Polino coming back and being available. It was, you just talk about the physical aspect that this, this game is going to take on both teams and Carolina's ability to withstand that this late in the year. Well, I think there's two issues that have really afflicted the offensive line this year. One, when you factor in Nick Polino's injury, I mean, Stacey Sterles was basically playing six guys. And one of the reasons he was playing six guys is because I don't think he really liked what he had at left guard with Ed Montalus and uh, Joshua Azudu. And so he was rotating those guys, trying to get one of them to say, all right, I'm going to take hold of this position. This is mine. I don't, you know, we saw we saw each of them have good moments, and we saw each of them have bad moments. So I, I think the hope is for Polino to be able to, uh, you know, if he doesn't take over that position as a whole, at least he's back in that rotation and he's kind of making everybody else better. And the fact that he was able to play some against Virginia, and you know, as you mentioned with the bye week, that should set him up to be able to play more. Uh, they certainly need him there. I think that's a key part of it. But and one of the reasons they need him there is because they have so many young guys. You know, Montalus is a redshirt freshman. Azudu's playing for really the first time in his career. Marcus McKeithen's really playing the first time in his career. Uh, he's he's played pretty well. He's come on pretty pretty strong. Jordan Tucker hasn't played a whole lot. And so you're really relying on you know, uh, Charlie Heck is kind of the, the veteran guy. And then you put Polino back in there beside Brian Anderson who's had his ups and downs, but he's been better of late. And that gives you some more stability. Um, but I, I think at this point of the season, you, you kind of are who you are, and especially along the offensive line. I mean, 
we talk about Javante Williams, we talk about Michael Carter and even Antonio a little bit about how good they've been. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of times where it's, it's, you know, is it the chicken or the egg? Does the offensive line make the running backs look good or do the running backs make the offensive line look good? And I think this year it's really the running backs that have made the offensive line look good, at least in the run game. Uh, and kind of the, you know, the uh, pro football focus grades kind of bear that out. And one of the reasons that Javante and Michael Carter have had the numbers that they've posted is because they've done a really good job uh, after contact and kind of pushing the pile and uh, breaking tackles and, and making something out of nothing. And when you look at what Pitt does uh, defensively, you know, we've, we've said this for years. And so I, I think I'm curious to see what Jason says about this game, but I, I imagine we're probably aligned in this. Uh, Narduzzi is one of these guys. He's going to take away something and he wants to take away the run. And that's why, if you look at what Pitt has done nationally, I mean, they are fifth nationally in uh, yards per rush allowed. I mean, I think it's 2.64, which is, which is strong. I mean, that that's tops in the ACC. That's better than anybody in North Carolina has played this year. And so they are stout and they're going to do everything they can uh, to take away that run game. And so, I mean, yes, you can't just completely sell out on the run. Um, you've got to try it and you've got to find some success. And North Carolina, you know, against some teams that are good against the run, they've done a good job of attacking the edges and uh, they've got some yardage that way. Uh, and I know we'll come back to this, but with the way that Narduzzi does his defense with those quarters, he's willing to put his cornerbacks and defensive backs on islands. And with the way that we've seen Sam Howe throw the ball, especially deep this year, uh, I think that is that is the name of the game. If Sam Howell can hit on a couple of those big throws, uh, North Carolina probably wins this game. If not, regardless of what happens with the run game, uh, if he's not able to hit on some of those big plays down the field, North Carolina will not win this game. And uh, this is one of those I think is pretty easy when you look at it from from that vantage point. We'll definitely get into the game plan portion. I'm, it's going to be interesting, um, folks that have listened to this podcast over the years, it seems like the pit game plan's always been the same. Um, at least for North Carolina, against Pittsburgh. has always been the same. I'll be interested to see if we're talking that similar vibe here later in this podcast. Let me take a second and talk about Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. Of course, on Franklin Street. I was there Monday. They got everything that we've ever talked about. They had some great sales going on. And, of course, they had the opportunity to use the Inside Carolina discount, um, which saved me a little bit of money at Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street. Can't make their... You go johnnytshirt.com online, 24-7 there. You can go get anything you need, Carolina gear, football, basketball, baseball, soccer, any sport you can imagine. Saw some journalism uh, sweatshirts. My wife enjoys that kind of stuff. Anything you need, Carolina-related, Johnny T-Shirt's gotten it. Great customer service, both in the store and online. And Inside Carolina Premium subscribers, like I said, use that 10% off coupon. Uh, it's worth it. It's worth your time. And of course, by supporting them, you're supporting locally owned and alumni operated business and you're supporting Inside Carolina because they are our wonderful sponsors. All right. L- let's talk a little bit about before we get deeper into the game plan. Let let me ask you both. And, I, and Jason, I'll start with you. Um, Nick Polino's coming back. It's, no, it's not known whether he'll start or not. He He's going to play. Then you've got uh, Miles Wolfork and Trey Morrison 
on defense. They're coming back from injury. Probably won't start. I think Bateman said, you know, they'll play at some point. We've often heard uh, you can't lose your job due to injury. And a lot of people believe that should be the case. But it's not practical in college football or in any sport, really. Tell me why, Jason. Well, number one is that it takes time to work your way back into into shape and beyond. And number two is it takes time to work your way back into knowing and into the rhythms of where you're going to be relative to other players. I mean, there's, you know, on the offensive line, chemistry matters. And, you know, Jay Bateman talked about that this week with, with the secondary as well, that you got to, you got to be able to communicate. You got to know where your guy's going to be. You got to, schemes and all of this you're that's iterative over the course of the season so you're trying to install stuff that's going to build on stuff that you've done before you know maybe maybe you add this one thing this week that you teach it and you say well this is what we did against Miami now I want to tweak this and and you're going to have to technique wise play it this way because this is how this is what they do well if you weren't there for Miami then you don't have the same basis the same base to build off of that the other guys do and if and and again, if you're not lining up day by day with these guys in the same practices and all of that, you don't you're just not in the same kind of rhythm that they are. You're not the, the chemistry is not the same. And the other thing is that oftentimes when guys come back from injury, they're really coming. No, nobody waits until they're 100 percent to come back from injury during season. No, really, nobody's 100 percent at this point in the season anyway. But you're also not fully yourself either when you come back and sometimes you've got somebody else who stepped in who was younger and the reason that they were behind you to begin with so this is like reason number six or whatever we're on now sometimes you get somebody who was behind you because not because you were more talented than them per se but because they were younger than you and had less experience and now you're you miss say five games or whatever that is and you come back and the younger, more talented guy now has closed the experience gap with you and is sitting there with more chemistry over the last few weeks, been building that chemistry over the last few weeks with the guys he's been starting next to. And maybe you're just not as good as that guy anymore. So that's why, I mean, in college football, it, it, in, in theory, you'd like to say you never lose your, your, your job because of injury, but practically speaking that's just not a not a possible position to take and even the players understand that like if you get hurt you know that you know that, that that's ball you you can't count on having your job back when you come back you hope you can win it back but uh and you hope you're given the benefit of the doubt but you know if you're not the better player you shouldn't be playing greg mike brown said they've got to have better play from the corners uh, getting Morrison back certainly uh, provides the opportunity. Uh, one of the best things I heard from Mac at his presser was talk about uh, the bench. The bench is the great motivator. And like he said, they just have not been able to do that this year, um, really for the last couple of years, three years. Um, but Brown looked to me like a coach that was dying to be able to use that motivation on some of his guys. Yeah, for sure. And I keep beating this drum, and I know fans don't like it. But this is a multi-year process. I mean, this this is a deal where uh, you, you kind of uh, put in your plans, 
and you you work on culture this year, try to get to a bowl game, and then next year and next year when you start to have the depth and you have the talent that can play, now you're going to see a huge uptick. And that's the big reason why, is that when you have guys that can compete at certain positions, that adds an extra uh, boost in terms of how, how hard you're going to work in practice, how hard you're going to work in the offseason. Because you have to if you want to play. And you know, fortunately for North Carolina, they've got guys like Dom Ross and Aaron Crawford and Jason Strobridge and, and Charlie Heck you, who are driven for you know, a lot of different reasons. Um, but it's not a matter – they can't just coast, in other words. You know, they, they have the passion to succeed and to be good. Um, you know, if they're, if you have guys that are seniors who are just playing just because they're there, uh, you're not going to have the, the results that you want. And this is a situation, I think this is going to be beneficial for the young guys with like DeAndre Hollins, even Morrison. I mean, this is really his first year playing, playing corner, Storm Duck, uh, even Greg Ross. I mean, this is beneficial for those guys to get that playing time. Uh, but when you add some of those new cornerbacks next year, Mm. Uh, there's going to be a lot more competition and they're going to have to play a lot better than what they've done. And I think the last couple games, you know, Duke and Virginia uh, particularly are kind of good examples because you know, what, what Duke showed uh, Virginia how to do is that you get attacked those corners with that back shoulder throw time and time and time again. And North Carolina's cornerbacks just could not figure that out. And that's why Virginia was able to win that game even though North Carolina's offense did as well as they did. So um, you, those guys, you don't really have a choice. You have to play them. But I, but I think as you as you progress into this program build, that's going to be much easier to do. And you can just tell and talking with some of the, the coaches, and especially Mac, yeah, they, they say some things like that. It's like you know, Bateman talked you know, a few weeks ago. You know, when you start talking about playing time and who can earn it, and then when you add in – uh, the guys next year is all of a sudden, well, you know, we're not going to have enough playing time to go around. So these guys are really going to have to get better. And you just hear these comments, you know, try not to look forward, but they are looking forward about the potential and what's to come. But right now it's just kind of crisis management mode. And you're trying to uplift these guys and give them confidence because if you crush them and then try to send them to the bench, it's not going to do anybody any good. So you kind of have to deal with what you got right now. And certainly, uh, that's what makes the good coaches. Um, you know, you bench a guy and he sits over there and stews, or you bench a guy and he does what he's supposed to do to get back out there. Um, and that's what makes programs on the uptick. It'll be interesting to watch when they when they have more bullets in the gun how they handle it. Jason, let me ask you one coaching question. Um, we try to do at least one per week with you. How do you defend? A back shoulder throw if you're a corner. I mean, it's almost like it's impossible, especially with the rules, especially when they don't call that little push-off, the offensive push-off very much. But how in the world or am I, as a defensive backs coach, supposed to coach a kid to defend back shoulder throws? Because I would think if they're done correctly, you're not stopping it, and that's the point. But how do you stop it if, if you can well, it's funny you ask that because uh, we did a video series. If you remember Mike Ingersoll and I, we actually did a, a full-on like on-the-field shooting video ourselves talking about technique 
uh, right there uh, about how to do that and, and the different ways that you can coach a guy to, to defend it. And there's different ways you can do it. Some of it depends on what, what coverage you're in. So, you know, it, you defend the back shoulder fade differently when you're in cover two than when you're in cover three, than when you're in man, to, uh, man coverage versus when you're in Kathy or trap. So it's going to be a little different each time, but presuming let's say you're in man coverage and, uh, and also quarters is a different technique as well, but presuming let's say you're in man coverage and they're going to back shoulder you, which is typically when you're going to get back shoulders is, is that sort of look you know that you're going to be playing inside out. So they're going to have the outside leverage. You're going to, you're, you're going to give that outside up and now you're going to be running along their hip. And the thing is you want to be in a specific, you want to be in phase basically right off of the, you know, kind of right on the back of the, of the hip bone relative to where your, where your guy is. And you want to be in a position where you can kind of with with your back hand with your with your outside hand you can kind of control his hips if he decides to turn around because what's going to happen if it's a back shoulder fade the the receiver is always going to try to get that hand on the back side of the of the db so that you can kind of turn around more quickly and and get back what you want from the db is to be able to get that hand on the base of the hip and keep that guy from being able to do that but the the problem is if you've got a really fast receiver you it's hard to keep that position without him just hitting the brakes because you're having to bust your tail to keep to to uh, to keep him from beating you over the top and that's when it gets really hard. But if you can maintain that position in phase when when he goes to turn around, then ideally you you maintain your contact with him, your connection without interference. And then when he shows his hands, you go from there and you can either, depending again on the timing of all this, if you've got enough time, you start to turn your eyes and, and find where the ball is going to be. You know, you use, you read his hands, you find the ball and get your hand on it more often than not on a back shoulder. You're not going to have enough time to do that. So what's going to have, what's going to have to happen is you're going to be reading his eyes and his hands. And as, as those hands go up for the ball, you're going to take one of your hands, depending again on angle, but you're going to basically punch through the middle of the inside of those two hands and try to separate as soon as the ball gets there, try to separate that ball from the hands. That's normally what you're going to have to do. And it's really hard to, hard to defend. I mean, it's a, if the, if the route is run correctly and you've got a, a, a quarterback that can throw that well, it's the hardest route to defend in football because you, you can, you can do it on so many, in, in so many looks and you're, you're threatening with the, with the over the top stuff. That's the thing you're most afraid of. Now that's in man other ways you can do it. If you've got safety help, you don't have to worry about it. Then you can play a little bit more trail technique. And when that guy goes to turn, you're there already. If you, you know, if you're, if you're playing two trap or something like that, then you're already in that lane and you can just kind of sync with it. You see, you feel that coming and, and then it's not really going to be an option for the, for the, uh, for the offense anyway. So it depends a little bit. But that that's what you have to do. And I, I will say this, they've been they, they, they've needed to play better at corner without question in recent weeks. But it's really been a personnel thing more than anything else. They are. I got to I got to give Dre Bly a lot of credit because I you can see these guys are well coached, even when their technique has been breaking down at times. You can see that they know the right thing to do and they've repped the right thing to do. And they've repped it a lot. And as often as not, I mean, there've been some games where they really played that technique super well. And that's why they won games. 
So you got uh, that's something that's been really impressive to me about how they've done that. And by the time you get on your fifth or sixth corner, when you're still getting pretty good technique a lot of the time, that's that's really impressive. So I got to tip my cap to Dre on that. Indeed, good stuff. Uh, we need to break out those old Staples Ingersoll videos because I thought they were pretty good. Anyway, I'm going to take a break, come back. Let's talk about what Carolina needs to do to win this game on Thursday night. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast. We'll be right back. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. We're back. Let's go into the game plan portion, since that is the name of this podcast. Greg, I'll come to you first. Let's go Carolina's defense versus Pittsburgh's offense. A lot of the talk all week is Carolina finally gets a quarterback that's not going to run wild on them. Um, But is that necessarily the case? What does Pittsburgh want to do against Jay Bateman's defense? Well, Pat Narduzzi is is very much a uh, defensive-minded coach, and he likes his uh, offense to kind of complement what he wants to do defensively. And that's one of the reasons I think you've seen in recent years that they've they've relied so heavily on on the run. And part of that's because they haven't had the the quarterback play, but they've also had some really good running backs. And a lot of those guys are gone now, uh, but you know, they they looked good early in the year. Uh, with, with Kenny Pickett at quarterback, I and mean, I thought he played great against Penn State. I watched that game thinking, okay, well, maybe maybe Pitt actually is not going to be as bad as some of us thought. And he's been really up and down. Uh, he's got nine touchdowns, eight interceptions. Uh, I know his completion percentage is like seven, 61, but I think it adjusted, it's it's up over 70. Uh, so he, he's got the talent, and you're right. He, he's not a, a dual threat in the sense of a Bryce Perkins or uh, the Quentin Harris kid from Duke, uh, but he can he can move and he can pick up some yardage uh, with his legs. I mean, he's he's not totally inept in terms of picking up some 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 yardage that way. Uh, they just have not been very explosive. Uh, they have not been uh, consistently good. I mean, you kind of you kind of look at some of these some of these teams in in the ACC offensively, and uh, they just have struggled at times. And I think Pitt's one of those teams. I, I do think a lot of it is you know, Narduzzi wants Whipple to be pretty pretty conservative with how they approach things, uh, just because that defense has been so good. But you know, Pitt's twelfth in the in the ACC in, in yards per play, four point nine seven. Uh, that's not very good. And then in terms of you you look at the the scoring offense, uh, they rank one hundred eleventh nationally not quite 21 points per game. And so they really have had to rely on that uh, that defense. And and part of the issue, too, is you know, 
turnovers that have really plagued them all year long. Uh, and that that was a big part of why they lost to Virginia. That was a big part of why they lost that game uh, you know, a couple weeks ago against uh, Miami. And then they lost to Penn State just because Penn State's a little bit better team. But those are their only losses on the season. So it's not like they've lost to bad teams, even though when you look at some of the games that they have had, uh, they haven't been necessarily impressive wins. Uh, you know, you're talking about a 20 to 10 over Ohio, a 17 14 over Delaware. Uh, but, you know, against Delaware, they, they lost turnover margin. And so they're, they're negative five on the year. And it seems like we, we keep coming back to this. But when these games are so close, and I expect this one to be the same way, turnovers matter. And if you can, if you can force Pittsburgh into some turnovers and really kind of limit what they can do offensively, uh, it kind of gets back to that whole conversation that we'll have about about North Carolina's offense of just needing a few quick strikes, and and you're in very good position to win the game. They probably should have won at Pitts, Penn State, or at least they, yeah, they they kind of had some. They probably should have gone to overtime. I think that's that's fair to say. Yeah, I mean, without question, and they beat UCF. UCF has lost at least one other since then, but at time UCF hadn't lost in quite some time. Jason. Uh, Maurice French, I watched them play Duke. That that kid was a problem against Duke. Uh, Carolina's defense, I think, lives off pressure. This far this season, um, when they've been able to get it, they've had success. The last couple games, they have not really done well with uh, those guys getting pressure on the quarterback. What is that a function of, in your opinion, and how does North Carolina correct that Thursday night? I think some of it is that uh, that basically you're deal- you, you've had some of the best players that have played so many snaps, and it looked to me, particularly against Virginia, that they were they were pretty worn down, uh, that they just weren't quite as explosive as as they've been uh, in in some of those cases, and you know there's a certain point you just got nothing left, and when you're playing, you know, sixty snaps a game or more that's that's a lot uh you're looking at uh, you know typical clemson defensive tackle we talked about this a couple of weeks ago a typical clemson defensive tackle right now even even when they're not as deep as they've been clemson's defensive tackles are averaging like 30 snaps a game 31 i think for their starters and strobridge and, and crawford are averaging 59 and 60 60 snaps per game so they're playing two games for every one that that clemson's defensive tackles are playing right now. And that, that, that makes a difference. You could see them, I think, wearing down. I also think though, that teams have schemed, schemed for Bateman's pressure packages a little bit differently. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do this week to create some pressure. Cause there's some wrinkles that are, that'll be in his toolbox that he's not really used up to now, but basically teams started to chip teams started to chip uh, uh, Tom on Fox on the, on the one side. Uh, and they started to provide a little bit of help with with Strobridge because he was given a lot of trouble in 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 the in the uh, passing game. Sometimes they'd help on Strobridge with a back, so they might chip chip with an H back or something on on Fox, and then chip Strobridge with the back as he's coming through that sort of thing. There's a lot of different things that they've done to to minimize where that pressure can come from, and and you know a lot of what Bateman wants to do is be able to rush four or five guys, but consistently get one-on-one matchups so that those guys, whoever wins the matchup is going to, is going to get that, 
that win, right? You're going to get pressure with that guy. Well, if, if they're able to identify which guy they are just not willing to give you a one-on-one matchup with, and that's the guy that you really depend on winning the one-on-ones and you don't have other guys that are winning one-on-ones, then you're not going to get pressure. So the real question is, and, and, and again, they, the good thing is that in recent weeks, they've gotten some pressure from the other side with uh, Dom Ross. I think you're going to start seeing a few different packages to try to, t- to make use of that and make people honor Dom Ross as well as Toman Fox and as well as Strobridge and to try to find ways to get those guys one-on-ones in this game. Uh, I think that's that's one thing as well. So you're looking at the bye week is going to have been very helpful because those guys won't be worn down from the prior week. The uh, opportunity to put in a couple extra packages that they won't have seen necessarily to, that, that are some wrinkles off of what you've, what you've been able to do so far, that would help. And I think also over time, more people get more film on what you do in general. And they've had to be pretty vanilla this year just because of how, how little depth they've had and some of the stuff that they've wanted to do in the secondary. I know they've not been able to do. There's, there's whole defensive packages that they've just shelved for this year because the secondary has been so banged up and they've had so many young guys in there that they can't run them. So, uh, so that's another factor that, again, if you're, if you're putting some of those other packages on the field that gives teams something else to prepare for that they don't know where the pressure might be coming from in different places, you're going to get some, you're going to get more, uh, opportunities there. And it'll be interesting to see if maybe they spring something out, maybe, maybe, you know, crack just a little window on, on one of those packages that they may have on the shelf to see, maybe, maybe they get a, a couple things out of that, uh, this week. Tommy, I wanted to add, uh, in terms of your know, matchups is such a critical part of this. We, we've praised Aaron Crawford, especially for the great year that he's had. This is probably going to be his toughest test of the year, uh, against Jimmy Morrissey. Um, you know, he was, all ACC last year. He's probably going to be first team All ACC center this year. Uh, he's just been very, very sound, very solid up front for Pittsburgh. So that that'll be a, a key matchup to, to watch. Indeed, and I'll be I'll watch that one. But I also see, like Jason said, does does Jay Bateman break out anything else? A lot of people or a lot of discussions been that he's holding some things back for NC State last game of the season. Well, that game's not going to have nearly the significance on the season-wide scale if Carolina doesn't handle business against Pittsburgh. So I'll be watching to see how that defense plays and what kind of looks they provide to pit offense. Greg, let's flip it over to the other side, and we can all discuss this. This is where the game plan for North Carolina, at least from my memory, has been the exact same all year, uh, every year against Pittsburgh, at least for the last six. <laughs> um, and I want to see if it's going to be the same way. Greg, uh, protect and throw it deep. Does that change for North Carolina with Sam Howell back there? Uh, it doesn't change. It becomes more of the more of the uh, factor, right? I mean, it's. I think this is kind of an ideal matchup for for Sam Howell. Um, and you know, granted, uh, Pittsburgh has has done as we've talked about. They've done a really good job with that defense. Uh, they're getting uh, Demar Hamlin, who did not play against Georgia Tech. He's second leading tackler there at safety. Uh, Paris Ford's had a All ACC year. Uh, they got a lot of good players in, in the secondary there. But when you're giving Sam Howell opportunities to, to throw the ball down the field for one-on-one opportunities, uh, man, as accurate as he is when he gets protection, and I think you know, when you look at this offensive line, 
talked earlier about the issues that they've had run blocking. That really hasn't been the case in terms of pass pro. Uh, they've been a lot better on, on that that end of the spectrum. Um, I think they're they're twenty third in in pass pro grades among Power Five offensive lines, which is which is pretty solid. Uh, and I, I think if they can buy him enough time, and, and they may have to. You know, the, the running backs have done a good job blocking anyway. Michael Carter has been pretty solid in, in that regard. Uh, may have to use the tight end some to come in and, and help uh, to, to make sure that Howe has time to work down the field. But uh, I think one of the, the fascinating aspects of this game, Pitt uh, is one of the top teams nationally in terms of sacks. I think they have 40 sacks on the year, which, which is crazy. Uh, and when you start looking at what they've allowed in terms of uh, deep passes, you know, when you look at you – know, passes of 20 yards or more, Pittsburgh's been really good. I mean, they're, they're 21st nationally. Uh, they've only allowed, I think, 23 this year. Uh, and you say, wow, that's that's really going to be tough. And it will be. However, if you look at really deep passes, now we're talking about a Pittsburgh defense because of the way they play. They've allowed 10 pass plays of 40 yards or more, and, and they've played nine games. Uh, and that that's tied for 110th nationally. So the opportunities are going to be there down the field. This is one of those games where the wide receivers have to catch the ball. That has been a liability all season long. If if the play develops and you have a chance for an explosive play and to, to still a, an easy score, you've, you've got to make that catch. And you know, a couple of plays against Virginia where you know, maybe Howe didn't put it exactly where he should have, but it was in a position where the, the wide receivers, you if they made a great play, they could have made the catch. That's got to happen this week. Um, and if that doesn't happen and you've got some drops that could really kind of derail your momentum, that's clearly not a good thing. But I, I really think this sets up well for Sam Howell to be able to, to hit some big shots. And with the Pittsburgh offense uh, struggling the way that they do at times, you, know, you, you score two long balls, uh, and that puts a lot of pressure on that offense. It's given up a 85-yard run and a 94-yard pass, if I'm looking at the stats correctly. Um, but they do have three guys with at least six sacks on that front seven. Jason, are you uh, buying what Greg is selling as far as Carolina's offensive approach? I, I think that was definitely a five-star uh, analysis by by Greg. There, uh, I wouldn't. Wow. I wouldn't. I would not drop that. Uh, down to a four star by any stretch of the imagination. I think that that qualifies. I, I got very little to add, actually. It took uh, me was, nine that, weeks. That was... It took me nine weeks, but I've I've reached the pinnacle. I may not be on the show next week, Tommy. That, that was, was truly uh, a five star. Weeks. It's been like three right years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, everything he said is is I think dead on. I mean, there's very little for me to add. I mean, I, I do think. Pitt is fully and Pitt is very aware of how everybody wants to attack quarters. Uh, the cover four coverage that, that Narduzzi loves. And, you know, that's the deep post stuff. And you want to, you want to have your inside threat, whether that's a tight end H back or a slot receiver with a vertical release that forces that safety to, to cover that guy. And then, you either have him on a dig or, or sit down at about 12 yards with some sort of option route or, uh, or, or curl or whatever, just to keep that safety up. And then you throw the big boy deep post over the, over the top. And of course the, 
The corner and quarters is generally playing outside leverage. So if the, if the outside receiver is able to get that inside leverage, you can kind of be running away from him. And if the receiver's fast and the quarterback can put that on uh, on him, then you, you've got a, a situation where the the defense is at a disadvantage just by leverage. But you have to execute all that. That means a quarterback has to locate on that deep deep throw because if you're if you throw it just a little bit behind or whatever, then that corner is going to catch up and be able to break that ball up even even with a with a bad leverage. And that's why these teams are willing to play that coverage some. Uh, and why Narduzzi is willing to play that coverage so much. You've got to be able to throw it, and you've got to have a guy that can run away and, and do that. Now, this is a game where, really, Deami Brown and and uh, Anton Green are guys that you, – you those guys are going to be critical to how North Carolina does in, on this because, again, one or two of those plays in this game completely changes the game. Like, like Greg, Greg said, you get a couple of those big plays – and then force their offense to do things that they're not as comfortable with, and, and that changes, changes the game. The question is going to be, is North Carolina going to be able to find enough space, whether through the running game, which I think it's going to be really tough sledding against this Pittsburgh defense rushing-wise, and you know the short passing game. Are they going to be able to find enough space to be able to move it when they're not getting those big plays. Because if you if you just go three and out the rest of the game, that's not good either. And that's that's really the concern here is it's going to be tough to run the football on this team. And North Carolina is kind of depended on being able to run it to set up some of those shots. And they're, they're going to have to be able to get get some some yardage in that, that aspect to be able to have success, be able to come out of here uh, with a win. Let's uh, talk about some predictions. Greg, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, I don't even want to think about what the our success rate on this stuff is um maybe one day we'll look back and think we were good <laughs> it'd be like when we're old men we're like hey you remember when i went 11 and 0 12 and 0 it was really like maybe 2 and 10 H- how does this game turn out and in it's a game that i think for carolina to get to a bowl you really don't want that to come down to two weeks in raleigh but Carolina and Pittsburgh, eight o'clock, Heinz Field. How's it? How's it shake out? Yeah, you know, I keep going back and forth, and I think I'll keep going back and forth until kickoff. I've convinced myself that Sam Howell is going to be able to hit on a big couple of these these deep throws, uh, and that will help North Carolina. Uh, but I think I think the fact that Pitt understands they are still very much in the coastal race, uh, they had the chance to kind of repeat as coastal champions. Uh, I think Kenny Pickett's probably due to have a, a good a good game. He struggled a bit lately. And the fact that this game is going to be at Pittsburgh, and that doesn't mean big crowds, but that does mean very cold weather. Um, and I think all of that kind of adds up to uh, Pitt being able to win this one. I do think it's going to be a, a another competitive affair. All these tend to be that way. Um, but I've got Pitt winning this one 21-17. Jason Staples. Yeah, this one's a tough one. Um, and I've gone back and forth on this as well, because if Howell goes out and, and makes a couple couple of those throws and those receivers get a couple of big plays, then North Carolina wins this game. But I think at this point in the season, with where North Carolina's, basically with where North Carolina is in terms of depth defensively, in terms of the pieces they've got available, and then thinking about the potential impact of the weather in this game on the passing game, 
I, I just I'm having a hard time betting against the against the home team here. I think this is the first time Pitt gets a win against North Carolina in a long time. I'm going to go with Pittsburgh 24 to 20 in this game. Whew, y'all put me on the hot seat. Um, I think that this game matters. I think the bye week has helped fill up some guys, and I think Sam Howell is going to show out on a Thursday night. Now, my, my question is, and what makes me hesitant, is two things. One, can they protect him long enough, and can the receivers catch the ball? And I think Deems made a, a point, it sounded good, so I'm going to adopt it, that in these type situations, these type conditions, guys concentrate more on making plays. So I think ultimately Carolina makes enough plays. I'm going to say 29 to 27. Um, somebody misses a kick that's important along the way. I'm going to go Carolina. I'm going I'm to go against you guys for the first time probably all year. We'll see how it works out. Jason and Greg, always fun. The Game Plan podcast on InsideCarolina.com. We've got two left after this. Pretty crazy. This season's trucking along, but Jason and Greg's always fun. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.